selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I don't know about you, but I have very much been enjoying decks with 20 lands and 27 spells in Zendikar Rising. Yeah, this format, is it too early to call it the GOAT, Ben? Are you ready, you ready to join I'm not going to go prematurely this time. I'm, I'm not ready yet, <laughs> but it has been very fun. I don't know if there's been a mechanic like modal double face cards that I have loved as much as I do this mechanic. <laughs> I saw your tweet about Kazandu Stomper. That's the five and a green six five trample that can let you pick up two lands. And you'd screenshotted yourself picking up two modal double face cards. And you said this play pattern is never going to get old. Yeah. So we've got a lot to talk about here, Ben, in the next hour in terms of our experiences of the first, you know, half week, four or five days of getting to dive into this format. Um, there is just a lot to discuss. It's super, super complex. And I think modal double face cards are going to be the hot topic for the next probably couple months. I think these are, are really, really complex in terms of when to pick them, how to incorporate them into your deck, and then the play patterns involved with them. For sure. So before we dive into any of that, just a few housekeeping things. First things first, the Lords of Limited Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose of course the show will always be free but we've got folks this week ben who really get it they know that the lords of limited discord which is uh given to all patrons of any shape or size uh that give back to the show and you get access to that discord and that is the place to be to break a format wide open and we're really really excited to welcome a whole mess of patrons this week ben we're going to shout them out on the show each and every week as we do so this week we are welcoming top deck 88 travis Tyler, Simon, Joey, Frederick, Jesse, Rachel, Nicholas, Joel, Kai, Felipe, Sam, Caleb, Gabrielle, Turbo Sultan, Housemeister, Jose, Brandon, Robert, Anthony E, Anthony C, Bill, Dale, Matthew, Monger, Julian, Pavo, Brett, Jeremy, Jake, Scott, Alan, Patrick, Charles, Christian, Jeremy, Sam P, Ian, Moave, Cesar, Charlie A, Henry, and Ramon. Woo, thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Ben, you going to give me the patented phrase? Holy patrons, Batman. Those people know what's up. If you're if you're sitting out there thinking, "Man, I wish I want I wish I knew what the Lords of Limited Discord was like." Do what these folks did and get on in. Yeah, for sure. Welcome everybody. In addition to the Patreon, our show is also brought to you in part by CFB. You can check out all things Channel Fireball at their website, channelfireball.com. They also have CFB Pro, which both Ethan and I are writing articles for and making video content for the free side of their website as well. So if you're interested in more written content from Ethan and myself, please head on over to CFB Pro. I'd recommend signing up for their $10 option where you get $10 back in store credits. You're essentially making CFB Pro free for yourself. I think both the articles that you and I, Alex, are putting up there, extremely worth it on the limited end of things. They also have U-Box We Buy. So if you've got some extra magic cards sitting around your house from old drafts, things like that, an old collection that you want to turn into dollar bills, head on over to U-Box We Buy. Check out that promo. You box your stuff up, send it there. They check it out for you. Very hassle-free. They send you an offer. If you don't like the offer, 
great. They'll send them back to you free of charge. If you like the amount they offer you, accept. Boom, baby, you've turned cards into cash. This week is going to be chock full of stuff. We've got a 10 article series coming out, sort of an archetype at a glance thing that we'll be doing uh, every day this week, getting out uh, in as much information as we can about all the 10 color pairs in the set. And then we're also going to be producing our limited testing meeting with Alex over on Channel Fireball's YouTube channel. So you can uh, check all that stuff out over on ChannelFireball.com. All right, Ben, Zendikar rising, big picture stuff. Let's start with our usual stretch of questions here. Prince versus Popper. What do you think? I think it feels super poppery. There's there's not a ton of bombs in the traditional sense. There are a few mythics but that get out of hand. But by and large, the rares feel very beatable. And there's a ton of power at common and uncommon, a ton of synergy, lots of great efficient removal at common, very much on the popper end of the spectrum to me. Yeah. And so for folks who maybe don't know that phrase, Prince versus Popper just sort of talks about the format in, in the sense of if it's a Prince format, it's dictated by the rares and mythics. And if it's a popper format, it's more dictated by the commons or uncommons. And I definitely think we're on the popper end of the spectrum here in Zendikar Rising, which is great for limited. Absolutely. Next question, and this is going to be a huge topic of debate, is number of lands. Yeah, normally we just get to go, oh, I think it's a 17 land format. Well, this this Zendikar Rising is like galaxy brain level of <laughs> land questions here. There's a lot to unpack. So we're going to get to talking about the modal double-faced cards here, which I, I think they've been the talk of the town, at least for, for my streams, getting a lot of questions from folks about this, like a lot of pushback or a lot of questions about when I'm taking them in draft or how I'm including them in, in my deck building and sequencing them, all of that stuff. And I think this is going to make for great fodder for a lot of episodes down the road for us. But to sort of start to unpack them here in our first episode on the format, these cards are even more powerful than I thought they would be, Ben. And I think you and I came on very high. I mean, I think every limited content creator is very high on them. I've been listening to the LR set review so far, and LSV had a great like five-minute monologue about how powerful these cards are. Ben, are they even better than you thought they would be? Yeah, they're even better than I thought they would be. And the crazy thing is, it feels like all of the content creators were hot on this ahead of the format being released, and they're still going criminally late in packs. Like I'm talking pick seven, pick eight, wheeling, that should never be happening. And it's sort of like cycling one was in Ikoria, except I don't think the content creation world was on that, you know, ahead of the format being released. That was sort of like a reaction to understanding how busted the deck was. We we knew about these going in and they're still going criminally late. And if if you didn't trust the cycling one thing initially, trust us on the modal double face card initially. Please, please, please. So I- I'm pretty confident they should be the picks out of most packs they appear in, right? Most of them are are the best uncommon, so they're better than than all the commons. Like some of them, as we get to like super situational ones, like Bane Veil, the blue minus two minus O, or McKinney Stampede, that's the white plus two plus two. These are like C plus level cards in my mind. You can like take premium removal over those. Though honestly, some of the situational ones are incredible too, because they're lands that just win you the game sometimes. Like you just top deck the fling variant or the active treason variant. You're like, oh cool, my land is now gonna win me the game. <laughs> right. That's crazy power. Yeah. So like even those where I'm like, "Eh, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to take them, but they're really, really strong. You have to move these up in your pick order. Like if you think you're high on them, just move them up even more. Like bump them all up a gradation. You know, you're, you're, you're not taking these high enough, I guarantee you. Just give them a little scooch. Just give them a little scooch. You can currently get about a third of them at the table if you want. Like you can end up with, you know, somewhere in, in the range of eight if you want to. I've had multiple decks where I get to play something in the range of like, it ends up being 28 spells and 20 lands. And at that point, it just feels like you're playing a completely different game than your opponent. You know, they're top decking their basics and you're top decking actual factual spells what's your what's your pr for middle double face cards right now what do you mean my pr your personal record what's your what's what's the highest oh, number you got oh i think nine is my highest number so far i'm on 11 right now on my current deck whoa that's crazy pretty sweet feels good so I, the, the question everybody's asking is how do you incorporate these into your decks what are what are you thinking of you know are they two-thirds of a land are you considering them differently if you're more likely to cast them or more likely to play them as a land so here's Here's where I'm at so far, Ben, and I'm curious on your take. I'm thinking of them as they replace lands one for one. It doesn't matter if you expect to want to cast it more often than not. And then if you have one to three of them, I run 18 lands. If I have four to five of them, I run 19 lands. And if I have six or more, I run 20 lands. I don't cut on color MDFCs from my deck, and I don't run fewer than 12 basics currently. So I'm not going lower than 12 basic lands. I challenge you that before the end of the format, you are going to end up with like 15 modal double face cards and you're going to run. 
like seven basics. <laughs> it's possible, though. I, I'm I'm sort of hoping that we're in the the golden age of MDFCs right now, and as content creators continue to pound people over the head and they start to move these higher in their pick order, that we won't be able to get eight, nine, ten plus of these in a normal draft. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a reasonable hope. I think I'm very similar to where you're at. I do the very best ones. I do tend to lean towards less of a land count, like something like Hagramalling, which is the the black rare, which is two black black destroy target creature and then a black tap land on the other side. Something like that. I'm I'm less willing to count in my land count, but I, I ultimately I I just don't think about it that way. To me trying to categorize them as a land or a spell or more of a land slot or more of a spell slot. Yeah. It's just doing the cards a disservice. And I think you're trying to fit the cards in a box where they don't fit. You're you're limiting their power level and you're limiting the creative potential that those cards provide. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You you were talking about this sort of spectrum of them, right? They're they're not they're not a hundred percent land or a hundred percent spell. They're somewhere in the middle and that fluctuates based on what your hand is. And so you sort of limit that potential by like pigeonholing it as, well, this is a land in my deck building, or this is a spell in my deck building. And I know this, I, I just said that I'm just counting them as lands, but you know, I, I, <laughs> I, but, but, but I think my heuristic sort of uh, leaves the most wiggle room for them. Like, so I just don't have to worry about it. I feel like I get to have them have their highest ceiling because I'm saying, Hey, at the, at the worst, this is just a land. And then at the best it's, it's all upside. Cause I get to have these spells in my deck and we're on such a, a low land count. I mean, it does feel it's similar to the Aquarius cycling deck in a way, because it, like, it's crazy that we have these almost back-to-back sets where we're running like record-breaking low numbers of basic lands in, in limited decks. We've just never done this before. Yeah, it feels great. Yeah. And and that that potential you're talking about, about how powerful these are, is that, you know, in one hand, it's obvious that it's a spell. And in my next hand, in my next game, it's obvious that that, that same card is going to be a land. In another hand, it's like, well, I have two draw steps before I have to decide what I want to do with this. In another one, it's like, great, I have one of these cards that picks up a land, so I get to play it early with no fear of knowing that I get to have it back as a spell in my hand on a later turn. There's just so much flexibility. And from that flexibility is where all the power comes from. So when, when the spell side isn't as good as say deadly alliance or whatever like any sort of premium common you have to factor in the amount of power you're getting from that flexibility right i think and another way you can get yourself in trouble by putting them on one side of the spell or land thing ahead of time like say something like umara wizard which is one of the better ones right this is four Mm -hmm. and a blue four three on the front side and when you cast a wizard instant or sorcery spell it gains flying until end of turn that's a blue tap land on the other side you're hoping to play that as a spell right and if you go into your games thinking this is a spell i'm counting this as a spell i want this to be a spell sometimes in your opening hand you're gonna need to play it out as a land and it's not even necessarily going to be 100% obvious that that's the right play. But if you've got it lodged ahead of time as a spell in your brain, you're going to be less willing to play it out as a land. And I think some of the, the biggest mistakes I've made in gameplay already are not playing out my modal double face cards as a land. Just because I'm, I'm hoping to play them as a spell because they're a pretty good spell. They're a top end spell that I was counting in my head as a spell. And I think you pigeonhole yourself into thinking about them a little bit that way if you're trying to say this is a land or this is a spell. Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the benefits of my current heuristic is that I'm just like, this This is a land. Doesn't matter if it's Black <laughs> Bloom Rogue or Umara Wizard, right? I'm just, this is a land. And then, oh baby, I get to draw it and play my land as a five mana four three that's going to gain flying at some point. That's awesome. Right. And then coming along with this, you know, looking at them on, on a sliding scale, sliding spectrum, there's three cards that let you pick up lands in Tazim Raptor, Kazandu Stomper and Pyroclastic Helion. So we'll go through each of these. Tazim Raptor is Tuna White for a 2-2 flyer. And when it ETBs, you have the option to pick up a land. Kazandu Stomper, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, that's the 6-5 Trample that lets you pick up two lands if you want in green. And then there's Pyroclastic Helion, the 4 and a red 4-5 that lets you pick up a land. And if you do, it deals two damage to your opponent. So these are all going to be in the conversation of the top three commons re-ranked in each of their colors. And I think that is a product of how criminally underrated the MDFCs are. As MDFCs, I think maybe, you know, if if stuff never really evens out in terms of people taking these higher, then these are going to remain criminally underrated commons as well. Like a, a lot of the backdoor decks that I've been drafting so far have just been like base red, base green, MDFC value piles when I know that I can wheel Pyroclastic Hellion. 
right? And when your five mana four five deals your opponent two damage and draws you a spell, sometimes a spell of your choosing, it's insane, dude. And the fact that you can get that kind of power ninth, tenth, eleventh pick is is wild. Well, and that's where you know, your heuristic really starts to come into play and really gives you your bread and butter too, right? Because you're not pigeonholing these into being a land or a spell, and then you feel great about playing them out as a land early because you know later on, that's the other thing these cards do for me is they empower me to play them early without feeling guilty about it. Right, (laughs) yeah. And then I know that I'm going to be able to take advantage of them later in the game as a spell. And you really start to, you know, fully maximize the idea that your deck does have actually 20 lands and 27 spells. It helps that come to reality more frequently when you have these three cards in your deck. Yeah, and that kind of deck, I think, is an archetype all in its own, though I do think it's sort of based in, you know, it's based in red green, I think, because that's where you get the most overlap of the best MDFCs and you have both colors with a common that allows you to pick up the lands like white gets a good card, but I think white's MDFCs are are certainly a cut below the rest on average. Um, they're still fine, obviously, because they're powerful, but but just not quite as good as red and green. And I think black gives you really good ones. So I'm often inclined for this to be a Jund value pile. But Black doesn't have a card that lets you pick up the lands. Yeah, I agree 100%. The other thing that these modal double face cards do for you that not a lot of content creators are talking about, I don't think, this really hit home for me once I was deck building. Like I just realized this yesterday. Once you get in the five plus range of modal double face cards, you you end up with 20 or 21 sources of land which makes it so much easier to splash without any sort of fixing. Like you don't need a card that, you know, lets you go search up a basic or whatever. If you've got 20 sources, you can just go your normal 983 and feel pretty good about splashing, which is really, really, really powerful as well, that they enable splashing of, you know, you get a deadly spoils or whatever in your red green deck. And because you've got so many modal double face cards, you're running 20 sources, you can just get three swamps in there and splash your deadly spoils if you want to. Now, is it going to be correct to do that always? No, but it opens up options for you as far as like creative ways to build your mana bases, because we've never had the ability to put 20 or 21 sources in your deck without significantly impacting your your spell land ratio in a negative way. And the other thing, the sort of next level thing you can do is then these can like splash themselves. So in the situation you're describing, let's say you want to splash Vanquish the Week or whatever in a red green deck, no fixing. And then you've got a swamp and then you also play as your other two black sources Palaka predation and maybe even Zoff consumption. So Palaka predation is the two in a black. You look at your opponent's hand and pick a card with CMC three or higher, and you get to make them discard it. Then Zoff consumption is the four black black. They lose four life, you gain four life, and then it's they're both tapped black sources on the other side. So you just get to run these cards as like, hey, if I draw my swamp or one of my other black sources earlier, then I can cast Palaka predation, or I just play this as a tapped colorless land that's going to help me splash Vanquish the Week, or maybe cast one of these other MDFCs. They're, they're just like these little tiny packages and that's one of the other reasons why they're such high picks is that like even if you don't end up playing that color as one of your base two colors you still might have the opportunity to reap the rewards of the power of that mdfc right that's pretty advanced stuff for the mdfc we'll when you're using them when you're using them that way but yeah and i think the the last thing here i just want to acknowledge a couple things one there is a lot of cognitive dissonance with these cards and i'm experiencing it myself i know how good they are and how powerful they are like intellectually but there's something there's a feel bad one like taking something like umara wizard over merfolk falconer i mean that doesn't feel bad to me anymore because i just know it's right but when you're taking a spell that looks worse than another spell in the pack like something like taking juari disruption over you know risen riptide which is one of the top blue commons there's there's a there's a bit of a feel bad there for me i don't know do you experience that at all ethan not not at all i'm i'm on team mdfc 100 percent. well i i am as well but i just there there is a i experience much more regret in drafts than you do <laughs> as yes, you, as I you well that's know fair. <laughs> i think that's true but like i think that's normal i think a lot of people experience that and then there also is for me some cognitive dissonance when it's one of the better ones playing it on turn one or turn two early like I I tend to fall in a trap of trying to sandbag them a little bit. So you have to be just willing to what we were talking about earlier, maximize their full potential. They're great as lands and spells. You should feel good about the fact that one of your spells is going to prevent you from, you know, 
suffering from mana screw, right? That's that's great. That's a good thing. Have you kept a quote unquote zero land hand yet? I have not kept a zero lander. I've kept a lot of one landers. I have kept hands with zero lands, but three MDFCs. Like that kind of power, just I've just never experienced that in limited before. That kind of like, oh, I just get to do this. I'm mulliganing almost never in this format so far. Right. Yes, I agree. I have mulliganed once that I can think of in in about 10 drafts. Yeah, which is kind of wild. That is kind of wild. So to kind of wrap up our modal double face card discussion here, just a few levels here to think about for yourselves and, and where you're at on your journey with modal double face cards. Level one would be to pick the modal double face cards higher than you are currently and always put them in your deck if they're on color. There's been a couple deck techs that have been submitted to me on stream and I would imagine you're in the same boat. Um, that have on-color modal double face cards in the sideboard, you should never, ever, ever do that. Quick talk about deck techs for this format. They're impossible. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> so much to try. I mean, I'm sure as, once we like have a lot of shortcuts for reading the cards, but like not know, even knowing like all the card names right now, when people submit the deck techs, you gotta take into account like all the little pockets of synergy. You know, if they've got party stuff going on, then you have to know all the creatures types. It's it's wild. On that note, it will help us out a lot. And any content creator, if you want advice, if you put all of the modal double face cards in a pile next to your lands, that will help immensely. Level two, the MDFCs allow you to splash more easily because you have more sources available in your deck, just more sources of mana, period. Right. You you can frequently get into the 19, 20, 21 source range. And then level three, Galaxy Brain, using the modal double face cards to start to splash themselves if you get critical numbers of them. So what Ethan was talking about in, in a base red green deck and you're splashing a black card, if you've got three modal double face cards that are black and one swamp, that's really powerful, right? Because sometimes you just get to cast two spells that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten to. It's so funny coming off of Amonkhet Remastered where like, you know, trying to get people to like take deserts higher because of xyz and now we just have like if you thought like taking deserts was powerful like mdfcs are tenfold that <laughs> yeah because they just always are both a land and a spell yeah so i'm sure we're gonna have a lot to talk about with those cards in the weeks to come but we'll sort of put that to bed for now and move on to our next question about the format which is what's the speed of zendikar rising i think it's medium slightly edging towards slower it's definitely not m21 fast but there are decks that can just come out and smash you so blue's very tempo based blue black blue red can really punish you if you don't affect the board early there's a lot of cheap interaction as well to allow you to double spell but i think in general games have tended to go long but you still have to as we usually say even when formats are slower you do have to do things early and you have to affect the board early yeah it's very easy i think especially for blue in particular to punish you if you're not playing a, a two drop and a three drop or whatever like blue being able to have bubble snare into the royal the cunning geyser mage like all that stuff is incredibly punishing if you find yourself behind blue decks i will say also you know we're, we're waxing poetic about modal double face cards my 11 modal double face card deck last night i played against somebody from the discord wings fan um, and they had a red white aggro deck that had one modal double face card that I saw and curved out on me and bashed my face in, you know? So it's not, it's not that that's the only way to approach the format. It is just that people are undervaluing that way to approach the format. And I think one, one last point on modal double face cards is that <laughs> they, they aren't inherently synergistic. They're inherently powerful, right? They're, they're more yes. synergistic in the Naya color pairs, right? But if you're picking them as highly as you are, you still have to be careful. You are making some deck building concessions, right? Like when you're picking the blue ones over cards like Into the Royal, because Into the Royal is such a premium synergistic spell, you end up with more raw power and a little less synergy with the modal double face cards. Yeah, I think so. when, when you're getting to that critical mass of like six, seven, eight, whatever MDFCs, and then that becomes your deck's game plan that you're just, as I'm calling them, these like MDFC value piles, like that sort of your mission statement of your deck and then you're giving up on look i'm not trying to do the kicker thing or the plus plus one counter thing or the party thing or the tribal thing like that's the thing you're doing right and so the next question i have is, is just one that i've been tossing around it's not one that's like come up a lot but we do often ask this about formats is is this a format where disenchant is main deckable or broken wings as the green variant that also kills a flyer and you know I, i've sort of like shoved this off as like no i don't think so but the more i thought about it you know we've got Bubble Snare, Nahiri's Binding, Journey to Oblivion, Skyclave Sentinel at Common, Roost of Drakes as the best uncommon. There's equipment. Like, I'm not there yet. 
but if you're even talking about broken wings, like and, and how good I think flying is in this format and how hard it is to deal with flyers as maybe a green deck, I think it's definitely possible it's correct. Just as like your 23rd card or whatever. Yeah. Or I your think tw- so. your 27th card in this format. Yeah, your 27th <laughs> card. There you go. <laughs> so just something to think about. I don't know what your experience has been. Yeah, I, I'm not there yet myself, but it has been a premium sideboard for me. And I've sideboarded in like two copies happily yeah i think so i think when you're playing best of three you want to snatch either disenchant or broken wings up pretty high oh is actual factual disenchants in the format huh i know right (laughs) it shows you how much i pay attention to that all right so moving on to early archetype impressions where you at so first off i think there's there's oftentimes a lot of tension i think the comparison that alex made in my set review with him about this being sort of similar to a Coria has felt true in the sense of column A, column B type cards like payoffs and enablers. And I've seen people get into a lot of sticky situations with, well, I'm trying to do tribal or party or kicker or MDFC or plus one plus one or landfall synergy payoffs. Like, I don't think you want to let yourself get pulled in too many different directions. I know I myself have had that problem. Like I drafted a red white deck where I was like, ooh, I have the like flame tongue Kavu wizard. So maybe I want to be red white party. But then I started getting a lot of warrior stuff and I felt like I was being pulled in the like, am I supposed to be taking rogues and clerics to fill out my party? Or am I supposed to double down on my warrior stuff and give up on that party? And like, I think you can get yourself into trouble by being pulled in different directions. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. For me, the two main things I'm trying to balance are, I think a lot of the best decks are the tribal decks. So I think tier one archetypes for me, and I'm curious to see if you agree or not, are blue-red wizards, blue-black rogues, the blue-green kicker deck, and then black-white clerics. Those four have really stood out to me. Yeah, so three out of the four tribes, not red-white and then blue green kicker. I agree. And I think a lot of that is off the back of just how strong blue is. Like blue red wizards, I think is there mostly because blue is nuts. Right. I agree. And I think there's there's a bit of tension to me between balancing trying to get into one of those tribal decks and picking the modal double-faced cards highly and early and often. And I think the more you're taking the modal double-faced cards highly, the less likely you are to get into one of those streamlined tribal decks because those tribal decks rely on the top commons and uncommons. And to get the modal double-faced cards, you have to take them over those top commons and uncommons. Yeah, I mean, I think the be- I think the reason those decks are the best are like when you get to be the person who's like the only cleric drafter at the table and the like very best cleric payoffs are also opened and make their way to you. I think a great example is the blue red wizards deck that you and I drafted on your stream yesterday. Like you got three of the blue red gold on common in that deck and you just had like two into the royals, royal eruption, three Tazim royal mages. Like you had so much of the good synergy there with all the wizard payoffs as well. Right. And then we had, you know, like a modest amount of modal double face cards. Like we had four or something like that. Which is still crazy. Like you had such a synergistic deck, plus you got to have four modal double face cards in your deck. Right. But we didn't, I guess it's more the idea that you're not letting, when you're trying to get into those tribal decks, I think you have to do so purposefully. I I don't think you can necessarily let the modal double face cards drive you towards those tribal decks i agree so i'm sort of taking i said we're gonna stop talking about the mdfc's yeah right (laughs) so i think early in the pack i am taking most mdfc's over other cards and then i'm sort of gonna say you know well is it pick four pick five and now i'm seeing like the cleric uncommon or the wizard uncommon or whatever or you know for some reason roost of drakes or lull mage is familiar maybe makes its way to me in the middle of the pack and then those are the kinds of cards that are going to say okay, I'm going to I'm gonna start maybe steering towards tribal synergy or kicker synergy in favor of raw power from these MDFCs. Right. And I think, like, so we're the, and I think the modal double, I, exactly what you're saying. The MDFCs early and then around where we're usually trying to start to read signals around picks four, five, six, that's where you're starting to get into these tribal decks. There does mm-hmm. come a real tension and a real cost though. Like, let's say you are drafting blue-green kicker and you're whatever, you're, you're fairly confident you're headed towards blue-green kicker and you face a choice between Bane Vale, which is the minus two minus O to your opponent's team and into the Royal. There's, there's a real cost to picking Bane Vale there over into the Royal to the overall power of your blue-green kicker deck then. 
because Into the Royal is such a premium synergistic card. And that's where I'm not quite sure what the right pick is. And right now I'm actually leaning towards Into the Royal when, when I know I'm headed towards a synergistic deck. I think I'm even, I think I might even be taking like pack one, pick one into the Royal over Baneville. I think Baneville is one of the weaker ones. I think it becomes sort of interesting in the situation you're describing is what if you have Umara Wizard versus into the Royal? And that's like, I'm pretty sure I'm heading down kicker. I've got, let's say you've got Roost of Drakes and whatever, reclaim the waste. Like you've got some, some stuff that are making you say, I'm going to be blue green kicker. And then you get into the Royal versus Umara Wizard. That's, that's tough. I think. I think you're supposed to take into the Royal. I think Honestly, so too, but pack one, pick one, you're supposed to take Umara Wizard. Yes. So the the later in the draft, the more you know t- you're headed towards a synergistic deck, the more important it is to pick the premium synergy pieces over the modal double face cards deeper into the draft. So you, c- you can't just go nuts and like blindly take modal double face cards either. That's why they're so difficult and we're going to have to talk about them so much and yeah. not, not even have to. We're going to get to talk about them so much. <laughs> and I think, you know, our opinions may change or our decisions may change. You know, in a few weeks, maybe we're maybe that Umara Wizard versus into the Royal pick isn't so close and we're, we're feel very confident about when to take one over the other. You know, I think that's one of the that's one of the things that I'm most excited about figuring out in this format. Yeah, but there, there is some tension there between the tribal and the heavy synergistic decks and the modal double face cards those are the two pillars of the format to me like raw synergy streamlined versus raw power in the modal double face cards and abusing them and then we get to tier two decks we're looking at the the party matters stuff which hasn't felt that that great to me i think red black is greater than blue white in that respect for me i think the red black quote-unquote party deck is just better not not because the you know, red, black, gold equipment is better or anything, but just it feels like that that deck is a little bit better at like the party coming together and being a more assertive deck, which I think is what it wants to do. It's a little odd in that when they come together, they're so powerful. And when they don't, they're really kind of anemic. Like I've played a blue white deck in the finals and game one, I crushed them and I was like, oh, my opponent's deck doesn't seem very good. <laughs> and then in games two and games three, they curved out into party and I got smashed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think blue white gets there, but just not. It's tough because I think I think the party decks want to be a bit more on the assertive side, but white isn't very good at being assertive in the format, in my opinion, maybe outside of red white. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So we've got blue white and red black in, in the second tier and then red green. Now I've seen some red green aggro decks out there in the world. But for me, red green is much more of a base for splashing because green gets fixing and red gets velocity with like Fisher Wizard or Tormenting Voice or even the Cleansing Wildfire card that can be fixing for you. Um, So red green has been much more of a base for a multicolor good stuff pile with MDFCs at the core of that good stuff. Yeah. And I think if we're rounding out some of the worst archetypes, I think green black has felt pretty clunky. I've not loved green white myself yet. I think it's I think it's worse than red green at abusing the modal double face cards. Yeah, I think the, the thing for me is to think about green white not as an aggro landfall deck, but to think of it as a green white value mid-range deck you know you're sitting on your prowling felidars until they become five sixes or six sevens with vigilance like getting value from playing the mdfcs and picking them up that sort of thing right i I agree but i think into the royal just laughs at that strategy (laughs) that's so true i mean just green white doesn't get the interaction that you get from like you know at least if you're red green then you're getting royal eruption if you're you know splashing black you're getting all that premium removal like nahiri's binding and rabid bite have a hard time messing around with your opponent yeah. Can we talk about Nahiri's Binding just being not good yet again? Just just for a second. So what do we do? So what do we do in future sets? So we just see the white removal spell and just say we can't put it in the top three comments. <laughs> I think we're just maybe not allowed to do it, despite our every fiber of our muscle memory telling us we're supposed to. Yeah, maybe maybe like we set a rule that number three is as high as we're allowed to put it, and then we just immediately try to bump it out. I think I think that's fair. Yeah, Nahiri's Binding once again is is out of our top three white commons this week. There's just so many cards that have passive abilities that it doesn't shut down as well. In addition to being hard to cast and punished by a lot of things. Yeah, and the, and that tribal matters. Like, you know, I, I was sort of scoffing at the like, well, you keep your thing around for party, but also like just keeping your stuff around for like, I don't know, you know, what if your opponent has core celebrant out and they're in a cleric stack? Like, right. That's, that's the thing you need about. to get off the battlefield. And how do you do that? Right. There's passive abilities everywhere. So next up, we're going to try and rattle off as many like individual cards that I think are worth talking about that have surprised us in one way or the other. And first up here is just a, a chunk is the cycle of relics. So these are all uncommon artifacts that sit within each of the four tribes. I was pretty excited about all of them. Maybe not the, the Wizards Matter one, but we got to see that in action in your deck yesterday and it was great. 
great. And all of the others have been awesome. I, I got to play with the equipment in a Warriors deck, got to play with the giant three mana 6 6 Millstone in a Rogue deck. I faced that down quite a bit too and lost to it. And the, the Cleric one that's essentially like a Zulaport Cutthroat variant, that one has been insane. I actually think Relic Amulet might be the best of all of them. That's the wizard one. That's the wizard one? Wow, that's awesome. My my opponent had two of them on the battlefield against me, and I just I couldn't stick creatures on the battlefield because they just kept cantripping and playing wizards, and I, I couldn't do anything. That's gross. Yeah. Oh, man, those, those kinds of like tempo games, those are like the least fun, obviously, because you just sort of feel completely demoralized, but... It's pretty awesome that they happen. They're they're good. They're high picks. They should lead you towards those decks, and you should definitely be willing to play multiple copies, I think, if you get there on a good version of those tribal decks. Next up for me is Skyclave Sentinel. This is the three mana, two, three artifact creature with flying and defender, and you can pay four to kick it, and if you kick it, it comes into play with two plus and plus one counters on it, and then uh, if it has a plus and plus one counter on it, it can attack as though it didn't have defender. This is just like, I think, a rock-solid blocker. It's a great threat late. It has synergies in plus and plus one counter stuff, in kicker synergies, and what I didn't really realize, you can just like randomly turn this on with like a counter from Subtle Strike or the counter from Dauntless Survivor, and then it can attack. Right. Think about it as drowsing train it on light. Yeah, I think so. But it's colorless. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I've been impressed with that card. Next up for me is Prowling Felidar. This card has been great. This is three and a white for a two, three vigilance. Whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Prowling Felidar. It doesn't block great the turn it comes down. But if you're planning to come up with the board anyway, this frequently grows into a four, five, five, six vigilance, which is very large in this format. Yeah. If you're thinking about white as a color that can go to the late game, Prowling Felidar is your man. Next up for me is Vastwood Surge. This card, I think, is pretty awesome. This is the three and a green. Search your library for up to two basic land cards. Put them onto the battlefield tapped. Then shuffle your library. It has kicker four. And if it was kicked, you put two plus one plus one counters on each creature you control. This card just like ramps you from four to six. You get two landfall triggers. And then sometimes it randomly wins you the game. I, I think it's great. I have been very impressed with that card as well. It's moved up to my pick order as well as the other one that's a tuna green instant that lets you sack a land and get two basics and put them on the battlefield. Yeah, the roiling regrowth. Both of those have gone up in my pick order. I got a turn four kill the other day and limited. I think it might be my first ever turn four non-cube kill wow. with, a, with a red green start and a vastwood surge on turn four. I had the, the blue green rare, the like x creature that lets you like remove two plus one plus one counters from it when you kick a spell to copy that kicked spell oh yeah and i got to copy a kicked vastwood surge with it that's filthy <laughs> yeah it's pretty gross all right next up for me is seafloor stalker this is two and a blue for a two three rogue and you can pay four and a blue essentially three and a blue because it gets discounted uh, for each creature in your party and you always have a rogue because of seafloor stalker so the worst is ever three and a blue uh gets plus one plus oh until end of turn and can't be blocked this turn this card is blue's sixth or seventh best common just to give you an idea of how deep blue is and this card is very, very, very good still. It's good. You don't have to be blue-white party. This is just good to include in your blue decks. Frequently, it's going to cost two and a blue to activate. And if you have six mana, you can turn this into a 4-3 unblockable. This card is going to be responsible for ending a lot of games in the format. You're obsessed with that card. You can't get enough. It's so good. Talked about it three weeks in a row. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Next up for me, I'm curious your thoughts on this. This is Thwart the Grave. Four black black for the sorcery. Costs one less to cast for each creature in your party. And you can return target creature card and up to one target cleric, rogue, warrior, or wizard creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So I would came in really hot on this card. It's powerful for sure, but it hasn't often been getting back to large bodies. Like I think the play pattern is often like you get back a two drop and a three drop. So like it's better than Blood Beckoning, which is the the common like raise dead or bring, raise two dead back from your graveyard to your hand. But by how much is it better than that? I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not crazy about this card as much as I thought I'd be. Yeah, I don't love it. I think I'm taking every black modal double face card over this. Yeah, I think so too. Next up for me is Spitfire Legac. This is the three and a red, three, four with landfall. Whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, Spitfire Legac deals one to each opponent. This gets nasty in multiples like if you're if you're looking to be and not even necessarily in a landfall deck but just if you're a red white beatdown deck or a red green beatdown deck you got some landfall synergy spitfire legax very real for closing out the game you know you get two of them on the battlefield every land you draw is a shock like it just it just puts a clock on your life total I, i've moved it up slightly in my pick order i think this is also just like the best four drop in 
the red-based MDFC value pile decks where you're running like 20, 21 land sources anyway. And this just like blocks like a house. It's really good. And you just like don't have to value it. You get it again on the wheel. Ninth, 10th, 11th pick. Mm -hmm. Ruin Crab is up for me. Mill players rejoice. Ben, I've been milled out quite a bit in this format so far. Have you really? I have not experienced that yet. Like the rogue decks do it with the, the, the mill relic and Ruin Crab just like it mills fast. A turn one Ruin Crab can get you. So this is a single blue 03 with landfall. Each opponent mills three cards. So I do think mill is real. And uh, the rogue deck is a, is a home for that as well. And and also just like, you know, in a landfall, blue, green, whatever, late game deck. This is a real win con. Are you running it as a one of? I, w- I think I would if the, my deck can support it. Like I'm not, not not in like blue, red wizards. I'm not probably. But I think in blue, green, I would. Like if, just if you're planning to go to the late game, you're willing to run it as a one of? I think so. Interesting. Games are going long in this format. I don't think you need that many hits from this guy to mill your opponent. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Draga Visionary is up next for me. This is three and a green for a three, two elf wizard. When ETBs, you draw a card. That card is intrinsically very powerful and somehow it is just underperformed woefully i just don't care when my opponents cast it i I don't know why it's not like it's just not enough stats for the mana it's even kind of synergistic it's got wizard on it there's just better things to do in the format yeah uh would you say it's like a c grade card maybe (laughs) is that what grade you gave it that is what i gave it yeah i think you could say that it's a c grade card wow interesting so next up (laughs) for me is ghastly gloom hunter there's one of black for a one one zombie bat as flying in lifelink and kicker three in a black to get two plus and plus one counters on it. These kinds of cards that aren't like party matters, but that have synergy across multiple things like this one has plus and plus one counter synergies, kicker synergies and life gain synergies. And just the fact that a three, three flying lifelink is kind of a house in this format I, I, those kinds of things are what i'm looking for out of cards and gas like gloom hunter has overperformed for me yeah you know if we were to, initially we were talking about the macro archetypes in the format as party kicker landfall or whatever to me the the macro archetypes have shifted one one of the things i've realized just playing with kicker again you know it's been a while is that kicker itself is just intrinsically very powerful even when it's not synergistic right so so to me the the three broad strokes of the format right now are tribal synergistic decks kicker being nuts and modal double face cards being nuts like that's that's where my view of the format is at the moment and i'm not even really that focused on party like party is something i will do if i get pigeonholed into it but i don't think it's something i'm looking to do party feels like a, another backdoor right me. like when like when you're going for a tribal deck and you get cut out of it it's something else you can do i agree all right next up for me is stonework pack beast this is two mana for the two one beast it's also a cleric rogue warrior and wizard and you can pay two to add one mana of any color I think this card does a lot. And as I've started going deeper with the modal double face cards and using them on the level three, like we said, where you're using them to splash themselves, Stonework Pack Beast as a two drop that can let you cast a modal double face card has been very good. And then randomly, the Cleric Rogue Warrior Wizard stuff comes up as well. Just does a lot. Solid C to C plus, depending on your deck and how you're using it. Yeah, I've been impressed by the party prismite for sure. Next up is Kazandu Nectar Pot for me. This is a one on green for a one three insect with landfall. You gain a life. I was pretty skeptical of this. Alex was high on it and I, I'm I'm there. I think this is like one of the two drops of choice for those like multicolor green good stuff piles. Interesting. I've not seen that on the battlefield yet. I don't think it's gained me quite a bit of life, Ben. That's good. I, I'm not shocked about you and that card. <laughs> <laughs> next up for me is a maria captain this is three and a white for the one one flying vigilance and when it etbs you put a plus one plus one counter on it for each creature in your party this has been a house i think it's frequently oh, yeah. i think it's frequently a three three flying vigilance for four mana which is good and then the times that it's a four four or a five five it's absolutely bonkers yep i agree that's one of the cards that makes me aggressively want to draft party or like get those like multiple creature types. Yep, has has gone up in my pick order. Point for you, Ben. Scale the heights. So this card is just medium minus on its own, but I didn't realize the blowout potential. So two and a green sorcery, put a plus and plus one counter on up to one target creature. You gain two life. You may play an additional land this turn, draw a card. If you choose to put a plus and plus one counter on a creature and your opponent kills that creature in response, this doesn't resolve. I didn't realize that was the case. <laughs> That's so bad. Yeah, I think you're hoping to never play that card. I am absolutely never playing this card, yeah. My last ones here to take a look at are a trio of 
friends, Fearless Fledgling, Skyclave, Geopede, and Brushfire Elemental. So Fledgling is the one in a white one one that gets a plus one plus one counter and flying whenever you hit a land drop. Skyclave Geopede is the two in a red three one trample that gets plus two plus two when you hit a land. And Brushfire Elemental is the red green gold card, the one one with haste, can't be blocked by creatures power two or less and gets plus two plus two when you hit a land drop. All three of these I, like, I think there's a temptation to not put them in your whatever deck that cares about creature types because they don't have types. They're all very good and very good reasons to try to draft a landfall beatdown deck. Curve outs with these cards are tough to beat. Fearless Fledgling, I think, is top of the heap there. That card has just felt so oppressive on turn two. Skyclave Geopede, too. Like, it's attacking as a 5-3 trample on turn four. That's big. It's very, very big. And it's, and it's not even counting hitting multiple land drops from cards. Last card I want to talk about here that's a common or uncommon is Molten Blast. This is the Tuna Red instant choose one, deal two to a creature, planeswalker, or destroy target artifact. I think people are way too low on this card. It seems like folks are thinking it's unplayable or sideboard material. I am happily playing the first copy of this in my red decks. It kills like half the creatures in the format and blows up like relevant things like Skyclave Sentinel, etc. Yep, agree. Moving on to rare encounters. These are rares we've run into or played with, played against that have moved up or down for us. First one I want to talk about is Andu Inversion. This is six white white for the Wrath, destroy all non-land permanents, and a white ETB tap land on the other side. This card has gone up quite a bit for me, you know, and this is where that cognitive dissonance comes in, right? Like you see eight mana Wrath of God, and that's not that good, right? But the fact that it's a land and potentially a Wrath of God, and you feel good about, you know, assume you're in any of the Naya color pairs, you already have access to Zazim Raptor, which is the 2-2 the flyer that can pick this up. The fact that you can play it as a land drop, and then if you need to, one of your lands is a Wrath of God, even if it costs eight mana, is crazy powerful. This card has gone up a lot for me. Agreed. Great segue to the rare I want to talk about, which is a Shia Soul of the Wild. This is three green green for a star star elemental mythic. Its power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control, and non-token creatures you control are forest lands in addition to their other types. I like understood in theory that this like made your creatures trigger landfall or whatever, but n- until I saw it in practice, I didn't realize how bonkers it was like you can get like multiple landfall triggers in a turn it hoses into the royal because into the royal says bounce a non-land permanent and it turns your friend onto inversion into plague wind because onto inversion says destroy all non-land permanents oh my god yeah <laughs> that's gross all right next up for me is skyclave shade this is very good this is one in a black for a three one has kicker for two in a black Skyclave Shade can't block if it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if this is in your graveyard and it's your turn, you can cast it from your graveyard. This is, I think, better than all of the commons and uncommons, except maybe Roost of Drakes. Wow. Better than the MDFCs, huh? Maybe you're taking Black Bloom Rogue over it, but I don't know. It's close. That's good to hear. I've not gotten a chance to see this card on either side of the battlefield yet, so that's good to know. It was very impressive. Uh, next rare I want to talk about is Scoot Swarm. Two and a green for the 1-1 one, one insect with landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 one, one green insect creature token. But if you control six or more lands, you create a token that's a copy of Scoot Swarm instead. I had the misfortune of playing against this, and my opponent was very smart in waiting until they had the sixth land drop to give before casting this both times I lost to it. And that just makes it feel like pack wrap. Like you have to have two removal spells because you don't get a chance to respond to the landfall trigger. And it's really hard to beat that. So you wait till five, you're on five lands and you're hitting your six right. land drop to cast it? Yeah, you place play swarm on six, play your six land after, and then all of a sudden you have two scoot swarms and your opponent's like, oh crap, Like I need, I need to kill both of these, but it's really hard to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Myriad Construct is up next for me. I knew this was good, but I once my opponent had it on the battlefield, it was very obvious that it was difficult to deal with. This is four mana for a four, four kicker three. If it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter for each non-basic land your opponent's control. Rip you, Ethan. Uh, <laughs> and whenever Myriad Construct becomes the target of a spell, sacrifice it and create a number of one, one colorless construct artifact creature tokens equal to its power. The fact that you just can't kill this with removal and it's coming down early, four, 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 four is very large in this format. Yes, I agree. That's good to hear because I, I was feeling bad. Like we all graded this pretty high, like in the B-ish range. And then a lot of people were like pushing back like well this is just a four mana four four like it doesn't die into the one ones you have to target it and so you just don't target it but the point you're making about like well if i can't target it how the heck am i getting this off the battlefield right it's it's just it's awkward when you're facing it down yeah all right so i've played against omnath locus of creation 
a couple times now. This is red, green, white, blue for the 4-4. It's destroying constructed, apparently. Um, and there's a battlefield to draw a card. It's got these like three different landfall abilities if it's your first, second, or third land that comes into play on a single turn. But none of them like kill creatures. It's like gain four life or then add red, green, white, blue to your mana pool or deal four damage to each opponent. But like, I don't know, it's a, it's a lot of work for not a lot of uh, payoff here, Ben. Yeah, you and I drafted this card and you talked me off the ledge. I was all hot and bothered to build around it. And instead, we just took our 60 tickets and moved on with our lives. I think if I'm telling you to not build around a four color card, you know, it's not good. Right. So if you're tired of Omnath and Constructed, come on over to Limited. Next up for us is Angel of Destiny. You're gonna have to help me out here. We, we face this down oh. together on the other side <laughs> of the battlefield. This is three white white for a two six flying double strike. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you and that player each gain that much life. At the beginning of your end step, if you have at least 15 life more than your starting life total, each player Angel of Destiny attacked this turn loses the game. So how this plays out, and correct me if this is wrong, so if you got this on your side of the battlefield and you're beating your opponent down, your opponent's life total stays static because your creatures do the damage and then they gain the life. Meanwhile, your life total is going up. And then as soon as you hit 35 life, you win. But there's also a world where your creatures get to deal the damage before they gain the life, right? So you can actually also just kill your opponent through damage with this card. Yeah, and all the while, it's like they have to leave their blockers back because they don't want you to get to 35 life. So you have no way to pressure your opponent. Like this card is very, very mythic. It feels completely game warping as soon as it hits the battlefield you have to deal with it or i don't think you can win the game yeah it was very oppressive we we got very lucky to copy a royal eruption in our blue red deck and that was the only way we had to deal with it yeah so th this card reads really clunky and i think i misunderstood it i so i would imagine a lot of people maybe misunderstood it or perhaps i just am reading as hard but I, I i would say that this card now is like firmly in the bomb status for me yeah i think like b plus a minus ish uh, yeah yeah I'm, I'm in a minus a territory all right those are some rares that we've run into that moves us on to re-ranking our top commons and there have been some significant changes i think along the way and we're mostly lined up here which is is rare for us in week one yeah which is good that bodes well for the format i think so I think so. So what's going on in white? White number one, we've got Shepherd of Heroes still. This is the four and a white for the three, four flyer. When ETBs, you gain two life for each creature that's in your party. Yeah, coming up close on its heels, skyrocketing into the top three. Tazim Raptor, two and white for the two, two flyer. When it comes into play, you may return a land from the battlefield to your hand. Yeah, and that's on the back of picking up modal double face cards, right? Mm -hmm. Number three, Core Celebrant. This is two and a white for the one, four. And whenever it or another creature enters the battlefield, you gain a life. This gains so much life and it's so easy to trigger and a four toughness body is really hard to remove yeah and it blocks super well there's a lot of x1s running around yeah honorable mention nahiri's binding well we'll talk about it still here but it's not in the top three yep we did it we got it out of the top three <laughs> moving on to blue in the number one slot into the royal one in a blue instant bounce a non-land permanent and you can pay one in a blue to kick it if you kicked it draw a card number two bubble snare single blue for the aura enchanted creature doesn't untap during its untap step it has kicker two in a blue if it was kicked you tap the creature when you cast it this card has been absurd yeah i mean so often it's single blue getting to double spell with this card is nuts right so normally you and i are not about enchantment removal that leaves creatures on the battlefield this has gone way 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 up for me because you can just lure your opponent into tempo races where then you get to turn the beat around by bubble snaring for one mana you can also proactively reach out with kicker tap something down trigger your kicker synergies it's just raw power in removal like the the flexibility of it and then it's also synergistic removal which is busted right i mean think about either into the royal or bubble snare as your turn four follow-up to our number three card which is risen riptide two in a blue for the o5 whenever you kick a spell it becomes a creature with base power toughness five five right and then that's leaving out tazim royal mage and the one that bounces a creature mm -hmm. blue is absurd moving on to black in the number one slot we've got deadly alliance four in a black for the instant costs one less to cast for each member in your party destroy target creature number two we got vanquish the week two in a black for the instant destroy target creature with power three or less and in the number three slot we've got several contenders here you like subtle strike still that's one in a black for the minus one minus one to target creature and put a plus one plus one count on counter on another target creature if you so choose yeah and you've got uh, feed the swarm here the one in a black sorcery destroy target creature or enchantment you lose life equal to its cmc this card is actually a little better than i thought because of like kicker being around that like a lot of stuff is small even if 
you're you're kicking it like Gnarled Colony, right? Still is only going to make you lose two life, even if it's a four four. I think this hitting Roost of Drakes is also super real. At, like yeah. the, the enchantment stuff comes up. I think it's a very flexible card, especially as cells in black white clerics where you've got the life gain happening. Oh yeah, for sure. And then I think another honorable mention goes out to Malakir Blood Priest. That's the one in a black two one cleric. Um, whenever ETBs, you drain your opponent equal to the number of members of your party. This is just one of the best possible cards you can have in black red, and I think you're picking it probably as the number two black common if you're in black red. I have also been incredibly oppressed by the Marauding Blight Priest, the two and a black three two. Whenever you gain life, your opponent loses one life. That in tandem with Core Celebrant, that's just like such a a really hard thing to beat in black white. Moving on to red, we've got Royal Eruption still at the number one spot. What's going on down the line? Number two, we've got Grotag Bug Catcher still. It's one in red for the one, two with Trample. And whenever it attacks, it gets plus X plus O, where X is equal to the number of members of your party. As soon as this is fine as a two, two Trample in an aggressive deck, as soon as this is a three, two Trample in an aggressive deck, which is not hard to do, it's very good. And then if you've got it in black, red party where it's, you know, a four, two or five, two, it's absurd. I agree with that. This that card is the one I feel like is the most is the largest holdover from like my initial impressions. And I'm wondering if I'm still too high on it, but I like it right now. I have been impressed with it and been scared of it from my opponents. I, I feel pretty good about it. So number three, we're moving up again. Pyroclastic Hellion. This is the four and a red four five. When it comes into play, you can return a land to your hand. If you do, you deal two damage to your opponent. And I think worth noting with Tazim Raptor and Pyroclastic Helion, you have to be picking the modal double-faced cards aggressively for these cards yes. to be performing in the top commons. I agree. Like if you're, if you're just picking them and you're not picking the modal double-faced cards, you're going to be really disappointed. In the honorable mention slot, we've got Fissure Wizard. This is one in red for the 2-1. When it ETBs, you can discard a card. If you do, you draw a card. Yeah, I think this in tandem with like Tormenting Voice, that sort of velocity in the, the red value MDFC decks, I think Fissure Wizard is good. And I've also just liked it as random two-drop for party, random two-drop for wizard decks. Moving on to green in the number one slot, we've still got rabid bite one in a green for a sorcery target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't that one's got a target on its back i think i think so too i kind of want I, I feel very unconfident about the order of these green cards and i'm not even sure if rabid bite belongs in the top three honestly what do we got number two number two we've got gnarled colony right now this is the one in a green two two it has kicker two in a green uh, if it was kicked it gets two plus and plus one counters on it and creatures you control with plus and plus one counters on them have trample in the number three slot this is your boy reclaim the waste screen for a sorcery you can search your library for basic land card put it in your hand it's also got kicker three if you kick it you get to search up two basic land cards instead this card again like uh, talking about stuff like skyclave sentinel or ghastly gloom hunter it has overlap everywhere like this does what green wants to do it has kicker matters it allows you to splash it allows you to hit your land drops and trigger landfall consistently i really like this card and i i'm picking it quite highly right now yeah i like that being in the top three commons as well we've got an honorable mention out to kazandu stomper that's the five and a green six five trample that lets you pick up two lands if you so choose when it etbs just to give you an idea of how high people are on this card beers sc from the discord is on this as the number one green common alex corticals is on it as the number one green common i'm not quite there yet with it being a six drop yeah we, we just i feel scared of putting a six drop as the number one green common <laughs> well and and that's contingent on you getting like whatever six seven modal double face cards there's just a lot i feel pretty confident that gnarly colony is better than kazandu stomper i, I think rabbit bite also i, I don't know yeah I don't, I don't know but 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 card is very powerful if you're taking the mdfcs as high as we're telling you to do so yep so i think the last thing to do as i said we would never talk about mdfcs again but we are i wanted to look at like top uncommons overall in a sense and we've sort of got like the top 10 ish here listed just to give folks a sense of like how high we're taking the mdfcs and and which ones we're pretty confident about their power level so to start things off i do believe and you and i and quarter calls i think a lot of folks are on roost of drakes as the the best uncommon in the set yeah the card is absurd it's one of the best build arounds if not the best build around we've ever seen the fact that it itself is a four mana two two flyer is not embarrassing right like if that's the worst case scenario that's not terrible and then it triggers every time you kick something without additional mana investment from you is also just absolutely ridiculous. And then just the depth of support for it with so many cards having kicker is crazy. Right. And the fact that it can go in any color pair, like it's not just like a blue green gold card, like blue just has so many ways in its own color to trigger this with into the Royal Bubble Snare, Tazim Royal Mage, Cunning Geyser Mage, like you just get all of that in blue at common. 
Yep, it's nuts. So that's number one. And then I think the second best non-modal double-faced card at Uncommon is Blood Chief's Thirst. That's the single black sorcery, destroy a creature or planeswalker with CMC two or less. And if you kick it with two and a black, you just get to straight up destroy that thing. So that like, you know, premium removal spell with flexibility. Yeah. And then in between those, there's a lot of modal double-faced cards. So you, you sort of made up a thought experiment here for how many modal double-faced cards are you picking behind Roost of Drakes before you're picking Blood Chief's Thirst. Right. So I feel pretty confident about six of these. And then we've got a couple question marks here. So Black Bloom Rogue, that's the 2-3 with Menace in black. Umara Mystic, that's the 4 and a blue, 4-3 in blue. Akum Warrior, that's the 5 and a red, 4-5 with Trample. Balaged Recovery, I love this one. This is 2 and a green, Sorcery, Return Target Permanent from your graveyard to your hand. Oh, no, no. Return target card. <laughs> it's regrowth. Excuse me. Uh, next up, we've got Colony Ambush. That's the two and a green instant target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. Kabira Takedown. This is, is it one and a white or two and a white? One and a white. Next up is Kabira Takedown. This is one and a white instant deal damage to target creature equal to the number of creatures on your side of the battlefield. And then these next two, maybe we've got highlighted here. Sajiri Shelter, one and a white target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. And also Malakir Rebirth, this is black for the instant. You lose two life and target creature you control gains. If this creature would die this turn, return it to the battlefield tapped. So that's eight MDFCs. Six I feel very confident about, eight potentially, that I am pack one, pick one, taking over Blood Chief's Thirst, right? We're taking Akum Warrior, the six mana, four, five, with Trample in red, that's a, a tapped red source on the other side, over Blood Chief's Thirst. And that's close but clear, I guess. Like, But it doesn't feel particularly difficult for me to make that choice. Yeah. Oh, Black Bloom Rogue for sure. Yeah. That one feels very good to me. And so if that sounds out of whack to you at all, if you're like, whoa, 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 these guys are crazy. Like, I don't know what to tell you other than please trust us and please take these cards higher. They're very powerful. Right. And then that's, and that's including... Over all of the commons, right? Yeah. yeah. Deadly Alliance, Royal Eruption, Into the Royal, wherever you have those three ranked in your top three commons in the set, like these cards are just much better than those. Well, and it's and it's easy to think if you're not careful about it that Black Boom Rogue is a 2-3 menace. And why would you want to pick a 2-3 menace over something like, you know, four and a black instant kill something Deadly Alliance that can potentially cost a single black? You've got to factor in the land on the other side and how powerful that duality is existing both at the same time as a land and a spell in your deck. All right. And with that, we will leave you to pick the modal double face cards higher. Do us proud. Pick them higher, put them in your deck and profit. I'm going to come after you folks if, I, if I'm if i seeing these things, sixth, seventh, eighth pick, okay? <laughs> I, I know I know where to find you. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB to buy anything, packs. For some some FNM at home singles to fill out some, I don't know, constructed decks, whatever that is, some sleeves, whatever you need. If you're going to buy CFB Pro, please use the code LOL, all caps, at checkout to let them know about our partnership. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week for another episode about modal double-faced cards. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. See you later. Selling a little, or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap, or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. <laughs> 